could really have just got a Spotify talk for this as well. But you can maybe look one up later and do a compare and contrast. Um, so this passage in, you know, we're in the, the book of Malachi and it's you know, set in the Old Testament, it's, it's before the time of Jesus. And often people think that the Bible isn't relevant. I guess not you, because you're here on a Sunday evening coming to hear it open. But this is one of those passages, like I was saying to Alan beforehand, that I could kind of read back to the news headlines every morning. It is so pertinent. And not just to the global news that we hear, or the news in our country, but also this week, you know, in our community. I've had conversations with people who've been hurt by adultery, who've been... um, who are coming out of violent relationships, who are not getting the support that they need with mental health problems. That justice is an issue. In our church, with our community, there will be people that um, have suffered situations of injustice and still are in our community and on our streets. This passage is really deeply relevant and so it's, it's been a bit challenging in a way to prepare it. And to stand up and sing, how great is our God, before, or just after Alan's prayed such kind of lovely, thoughtful prayers and highlighted so much injustice. But we do declare that that is true, that our God is great in the face of such injustice. And so Malachi follows this um, pattern of asking, I think it's a rhetorical question, I'm not really an English student, but you know, a question that it then goes on to answers. So this one starts with, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? And then it gives two things. By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? And we have to take these questions together. It instantly reminded me of when my children don't eat their tea, and then ten minutes later tell me how hungry they are, and that wearies me and frustrates me because they don't do the thing that I've asked them to do and then they tell me how hungry they are and that you get this sense that God is saying you're seeing people do evil and telling them that they're good and then you ask where the God of justice is that those two things are deeply related and this, the verse about, you know, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them which if ever you need an example of how verses need to be taken in context that's not one to take and put in front of a sunset and put on a poster. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. But this is really personal for our culture because we live in this postmodern, I think we might be post, postmodern now, age where there isn't culturally an acceptance that there is truth. That, you know, the cultural view is that we each have our own truth and that there isn't such a thing as good and evil. There are just perceptions and and ideas and that every opinion is equal but the Bible really clearly throughout it says that's not true there is such a thing as good and evil and I wonder whether in the church we've taken things that are true that are really good theology and we've kind of confused them to back up this blurring between good and evil so for instance it's true that God looks at the heart not at the outward appearance And we might take that to say, well, we don't know if they're good or evil. Only God can know that, which is true, but that doesn't mean there's no such thing as good or evil. 
We also take things like that we shouldn't judge people or that we should be forgiving. And we almost use that to erase that people might have done things that are evil. That there is a clear distinction in the Bible between good and evil. And that's not about who you are inherently as a person. There aren't people who are born evil and people that are born good. But in the choices that we make, that we are all fallen, all of us sin, but that the choices we make matter, that there are right choices and wrong choices, and we need to learn the difference, and we need to hold everyone to account. But there's also something kind of later in the passage that we'll come back to, where it talks about um, judgment being like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap, which does suggest to me that that process of, of seeing who's good and who's evil is, is tricky. It's maybe not obvious. It needs God's eyes to say who is good or evil. So it, it isn't always obvious. But let's, for the purposes of this evening, admit to ourselves that there are some behaviours that we know to be wrong. Adultery, abuse, lying. We know that they're wrong. And that there are still situations when all of us might be tempted to look at people who have committed those and say, oh, but they're a, they're a good person. They, they didn't mean that. Oh, that was years ago. That we tell, that those evil things are good. So if it's so clear that they're right and wrong, well, why do we do that? Why do we sometimes fail to hold people to account? Why do we say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord? Well, one reason, if I'm really honest, is that sometimes we like the people who have done evil things. I know I've been in situations um, at work, in, in various places, in the NHS, or working at House of Bread, where I've met someone and I really liked them. Okay, I would imagine you've come across a simplicity. You really like them. They feel kind of, you warm to them. And, and you like chatting to them, and that maybe at a later point you find out something that they've done. And it just, you almost can't hold the two together, that, you, that feeling of that you like them and that they've done that evil thing. And sometimes maybe we don't hold people to account because it's just too hard to like someone and know that they've done an evil thing. But actually we're not called to like people, we're called to love people. And we love them in spite of the evil they've done. That's how God loves us. But in the way that God loves us, that doesn't mean that the evil doesn't matter. It, it very deeply um, affects God, makes him angry when we choose to hurt each other. And it's really hard to hold people to account when we like them because we can risk friendships. We can risk relationships. And I know that I've personally lost friendships because I have refused to say what you did was right when I don't think it was. Even when I said, I, don't, I think we all make mistakes and I think that you made a mistake here, but whatever, we want to love you in the future. And they've just not wanted to hear that. And we've lost friendships and it's really hard. I also think in our culture that we often don't hold people to account because they've got power and especially if they're using that power in a way that we like it can be really tempting to overlook those evil things that they do and when you look at you know even in our parliament what goes on 
I'm always suspicious of people who are very quick to call out wrong actions in those of the opposing party and slow to call them out in their own. That we need to recognise our own kind of draw to power, the people that we are in power that maybe look like us or are doing things that we like. And sadly, this is something that we see in churches where people who are doing you know, good, good things, they're a good person, they're doing loads for the kingdom. So I'm sorry that they hurt you, but we're actually not going to hold them to account because they seem to be doing good things for God. When we don't hold people to account, then we lose our right to say, well, where is the God of justice? And God answers the question, where is the God of justice in this passage? In um, the beginning of chapter 3, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, this verse as well, be careful what you wish for. You're crying out for the God of justice, and the God of justice is coming. And we, if we're Christians, might recognise this messenger as Jesus, this, this judge that's coming as being Jesus. But there is a message to us that when we say, where is the God of justice, we need to be a bit careful what we wish for. Because what we're asking for is we're asking to be judged. We're asking for the refiner's fire to come and show up what is good and to show up what is evil. And we also know, if we're followers of Jesus, that we are, you know, we're saved from, from the fire by Jesus, by what he's done on the cross. That when Jesus looks at us, when the Father looks at us, because we have said, yes, we believe in Jesus, and we trust in him, that he sees Jesus, and he sees Jesus' righteousness. But that means that we can't, then, if we're going to do that, we can't hold on to our own sin, our own comfortable lies that we like to tell ourselves. We can't keep those and ask that we kind of are accepted through Jesus. We have to let go of all of that. And that is not a comfortable process. And so I think it kind of can leave us in a bit of a tricky situation because in asking for the God of justice, God answers it by saying, I'll send my messenger and he will be like a refiner's fire or, or soap. He's going to wash us clean and he's going to leave what is good. It's not a comfortable thing. And it's clear in that, well, two things. One is that we are not the judge. That's God's job. The answer to where is the God of justice is it's God. He's coming. He's going to act. He's going to refine and purify and wash. And then the offerings will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. So we're not the judge. That's, that's God. But there's also this other question of holding people to account. So we're not the judge, but we need to hold people accountable. Well, how do we do both of those things? Well, when I was thinking about this and praying about it, the kind of, the phrase that came to me is, 
is that when I'm thinking about that Jesus comes to kind of dismantle uh, uh, wrong power structures and evil and that phrase about dismantling made me think that maybe there is a way that we cannot be the judge but hold people to account. And if you think of our lives as being buildings, and I know I've had a lot of building work done this year, so this is still quite fresh in my head, that if, you, if someone builds something and then they build it wrong, if that's the evil that they've built their house wrong, then to not hold people to account is to let them to continue to build on those poor foundations that they've built, that are maybe dangerous, maybe damaging to themselves or to other people. And to not hold people to account, to not hold power structures to account, as well as individuals, is to let them continue to build on things that are not safe, that are dangerous. That that is, apart from being futile, because it will crumble in the end, that that brings more danger. The longer we let people build the wrong way or on wrong things. So if we don't hold people to account, then things just get worse. But to stand in judgment over someone is almost to knock down everything they've made and to, to scatter it everywhere so there's no way that they can rebuild it, to leave them in a mess, to shame them, to humiliate them. That's to stand in judgment over people. But maybe our prophetic role as a church in holding people to account is to help them to dismantle the evil things, to say, to call out that they are wrong. You have built this wrong. This does not uphold justice. And as they see it, to help them to dismantle it. And that might be in an individual to walk them through repentance, to hold them to account. But then they have to undo that. They have to turn away from it. But then as a church, we stand with them and we help them rebuild. And we help them make good things and new things. We're not saying that the evil things are good. That's not okay to do. It's dangerous and it hurts people. And I think the Bible supports, and in my own experience, that the people it hurts are those with the least power, the people who are already vulnerable, and the people who it generally um, allows to continue are those with power. But we do need to call out injustice when we see it. And that can be really difficult for us, particularly those of us who you know, live privileged lives, because the injustice that is in the world has in many ways benefited us as a country, maybe as individuals. And so to call out and hold people to account might mean letting go of some of our own security, and that can be a frightening thing. I was really, that song Purify My Heart really reminds me again that that process of, you know, asking to be refined is a dangerous thing to pray. To ask to be made holy. To ask God to burn up everything that isn't from him. That's a dangerous thing. That is not a comfortable thing to pray. Because it doesn't leave us able to hold on to sin. It doesn't leave us able to hold on to the injustice that we benefit from. But it's what God asks us to do. So, kind of as we close, but I want to challenge each of us to say to God, 
What does that mean for me, for me to be refined in the fire? What might need to go that I've been holding on to? What do I need to see more clearly in others? And there may be places that we've been upholding evil because we've benefited from it. And that's not something that, you know, you might be able to process all of that in you know, a final hymn or in an evening, but that might be something you need to process this week to take time out to do. But I want to finish um, by reading a bit of Luke, which is just, you know, a couple of books on. Because although it's not comfortable to ask for judgment, and although we need to be careful what we wish for when we ask for God's kingdom to come, that we also need to remember that Jesus is so kind, and he is so just, and he loves us so deeply, and that the kingdom that Jesus built was not really what they were asking for, but it was so much better than they could have asked or imagined. And so I'm going to read... Um, from Luke 1, Mary's song, which starts with verse 46. So in the context of the powerful people in the world that we might be thinking of, that God gives this prophetic picture of what the vision is going to look like to a pregnant teenager who, who cries this out. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, just as he promised our ancestors. I'm going to pray to finish. Father, we know you always keep your promises. And you keep them in ways that are better than we could ask or imagine. I'm sorry for when we ask, where is the God of justice? Without being willing to to examine our part in that injustice. Holy Spirit, fill us. And this week, help us to have the courage to submit ourselves to you and to the refiner's fire, that you would make us holy. And that as we go about our week, we would see injustice, have the courage to take the action that we need to. Thank you that you care about every victim of injustice far more deeply than we ever will. You know every situation more clearly. And you are a great and kind and good God. Amen.